Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Trillionaire. <laughs> oh gosh, who's that? Uh, I forgot his name. The super deep voice. But yeah, it's 8:34 a.m. and uh, find myself doing these at an earlier stage than usual because usually I lay in the bed for a good hour <laughs> just reading. Um, sometimes I read nonfiction. Or sometimes I read, yeah, nonfiction like the Polar Bear book on information architecture and other design stuff. Um, other times I read fiction books like Wandering In. It's absolutely amazing. What fiction? Sometimes I just read random articles about science and technology, what's going on in the world, um, so on and so forth. But I got so much work to do nowadays that I can't really do much of that. And do this podcast, <laughs> this audio journal, um, later in the day because it's just it just kind of breaks my day. Um, plus, there's so much going on in my house. There's so many people running around <laughs> that it's hard to do it later in the day because people are awake and making a lot of noise. Um, it, even the same with walking. Like when you walk early in the morning, there's less cars out usually and uh, less people out. And things like that. Plus, it, it allows me to get some exercise in because I'm not doing my yoga as I used to do um, last year around this time. So, yeah. But we'll see. You know, I'm always changing, always shifting. Anyways, yesterday I started up with. Uh, I was going to get into some work. No, I started up with the yeah with the. the hell? Oh yeah, <laughs> yesterday was Monday. I started with my book club. Um, oh no no oh my gosh this is why I need to look at my calendar when I talk (laughs) Um, ate breakfast and all that other stuff because I had to get in a meeting with my um, one of my mentors Debbie who was uh, telling me about an opportunity she has for me next month which is absolutely amazing so I'm going to be working with her on a paid gig um and it's and it's quite it's quite well paid and I'm I am just she's she's just an amazing person like every every time I'm surprised with you know her dedication to to the craft and everything like that uh, which I shouldn't be because she really is passionate about it but it's just it's just amazing you know and throughout this past year really I've been well not just past year maybe throughout my entire life honestly. <laughs> Um, especially, you know, my professional career, I've just been so incredibly fortunate to have so many amazing, like, if not mentors, then managers, bosses, you know, you know, I don't, I don't think I've really had a bad manager, you know, um, and I think it's not completely fortune, to be honest with you, um, I'm just really picky, like, I am really, really picky, I've said that before about my jobs, and that, like, I don't want to work at a place where I feel like I'm not going to, you know, get the right sort of teaching and, and all this other stuff. And work on good projects and stuff like that. So, I, honestly, <laughs> part of it is, is probably because um, my pickiness, you know, um, coming to fruition. So, and, and yeah, I, I have some level of privilege. Like, I'm not struggling. Well, I'm struggling, but... <laughs> I'm not this is another reason why I didn't move out of my parents' place, right? Even though we're all struggling. 
like the original reason is because we're all struggling I, and I don't see myself able to move to another place knowing that I could you know instead give that to them to help at the same time I know that for myself I want to be able to take more control of my life right and if you and if you move out too early I feel like um and you're more worried about all the bills and rent and all this other stuff that you have to pay then you're going to be less picky with you know the things that you take with the opportunities that you take and that's and I think that's really dangerous for you know people like us for our community because these opportunities are hard man it's hard to get these upper opportunities these high high paying high income places that that afford you learning you know learning ability and a good community you know a good support system that's really hard to find unfortunately you know so many places i've heard so many tales of of people who um who go to these uh go to these like jobs and anything like that and they're not you know they're not valued and and they just have so much you know health problems and all this stuff and it is uh i didn't mean to get on all that right now but <laughs> yeah i don't know i think being picky is a good thing um and sometimes you have to set up your environment to 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 do that even if that means you know going back a few steps or you know what's feel what seems like a few steps to society right <laughs> Um, if you can, if you can bear your parents, you know, staying with them or if you can bear, you know, um, staying with the roommate or something like that. I just think it, it helps in the long run so you can really focus on what you actually want to do and improving your skills and all this other stuff. You know, but anyways, what I <laughs> so I, I talked to Debbie about an opportunity I got coming up. So that's going to be exciting. Um, I have to finish reading my information architecture book and um learning a bit more about information architecture because we're going to be dealing with a big site big i'm not sure how much i can say about it but it's a big you know project working for a large company and we have to like improve their um my mic is falling we have to improve their conversion rate by like a a, a percentage <laughs> percentage and a half and that will pay for the entire gig, so it's it's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, I'm not sure what else I can say about that. But that that's pretty exciting. Then I jumped into the the, the rest of my book club. So uh, every every Monday there's a uh, UX Star book club where they read you know through a book together, and then we and and we talk about it you know um, as we read. So that's pretty cool. Um. We're reading Think Like a Researcher this uh, these couple weeks, and that's always great. Um, great way to just learn more about research, and it dovetails really well into into my class, my research. Think Think Like a Research Pro. Oh no, it was Ask Ask Like a Pro um, class. I'm in with a research expert by the name of Michelle Ronson. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, after all that, I, I started to dive into my work, um, creating a web web AR presentation. So learning a lot more about web AR and uh, putting together a presentation for Futurist. But then, um, one of my friends, shout out to Par again <laughs> from my Discord community. From one of the Discord Discord communities I'm in is 
creating an absolutely amazing um, essay about silence and how the silence of like she calls it the global north um, I have to read up more on this where, where, where that phrase comes from but essentially it's all these places that benefit off of the exploitation right the exploitation of resources and things from the quote unquote global south um, I don't want to get too much into it because she has an amazing essay coming out on it and I, I really love to read it like just read the entire thing for the podcast I think that would be really cool but um, yeah we just talked through it uh, yesterday to help her you know get all her sources and, and things in, in the line and um, get it ready to, to, to be written so that was that was an absolutely great conversation took a while but it was absolutely amazing it, it, it really helped me put things into perspective as well and at the very least I like to say that I think this is the idea other other folks to really think about is the idea that that we don't talk enough about like things like climate change and environmental justice and how it it is it is it goes hand in hand with social justice right with the idea of equality with the idea of creating a more equal world so she had some uh stats which i think are pretty amazing in that around 60% of people in the in the US or much of the global you know you know north usually a majority of people think that and um Climate change is important, right? It's really important to talk about, really important to think about. Big problem. But yet only, what, 5 or 10% of people actually talk about it, right? Because 70% of people think that their friends or their family or anybody else doesn't want to talk about it, (laughs) So you see, 60% of people think that it's important to talk about, but 70% of people think other people around them don't want to talk about it. And so they don't. I, that just boggles my mind, right? And it hit me because, like, shoot, I'm the same way. And even though I, I've heard of this, you know, this, this, uh, this general kind of bias, this social norms thing, and I usually try to break out of that, I talk about all sorts of things in my um, in my podcast and things. Like I just break out of these ideas of, of what's acceptable to talk about. But even I like have I fell prey to this, where I haven't really been talking about environmentalism and, and and climate change, even though that's been a huge part of my own you know kind of journey, right. Because the whole reason why, (laughs) one of the whole reasons why I want to change the world, you know, why I want to invent hover cars and flying vehicles and things like that, was because I saw that, you know, these gas-powered vehicles are so primitive and so stupid and so wasteful and so, like, pollutive. Like, it's absolutely disgusting. And I knew this at an early age. Like, I, I don't remember why I initially, you know, started thinking about it. But I remember, you know, just being disgusted with 
<laughs> with gas powered vehicles and I was just like number one why don't we have flying vehicles and number number two why don't they run on like air or electricity or plants or something right like why why is that not a thing and I used to be so just so weirded out by the fact that we you know use dead dinosaurs <laughs> put them in our in our vehicles and pollute the air with all that and furthermore early as I was going through that whole you know um, phase of learning I heard I learned about urban sprawl about how most of our communities are built the way they are because of you know industrialism because these huge factories were belching out all this pollutive air and messing up the environment and all that stuff and our response was not necessarily to make them better to make them be- that be- that much better but to move our houses <laughs> right to to move our houses away and yes over the years they have been a little bit better but it hasn't been that much like we still have tons of you know even in the US we still have tons of you know polluted um, waterways and land and and air places like uh, in big cities and st- stuff like that that is it's just disgusting um, but I haven't really talked about it because I don't know it's not like a conscious thing like it's not like I constantly made the choice of oh, okay n- let me not talk about that no it's just I just haven't thought to bring it up <laughs> even though it's been the you know important part of my own life it's just so strange. But, you know, when she was saying those tests and, and pointing that out, that's kind of like a problem of a quirk of, you know, human social bonds and human, like, of, of part of our social structure, right? We are social creatures. And in some ways, it makes sense for us to not talk about things that we don't think are important for other people. Like, if other people don't want to talk about them. Because that, then if they don't want to talk, then you're not going to have a social, you know, experience together, and that's the the bulk of being human. And so, you know, I guess it makes sense. But unfortunately, when there are big things that we need to talk about, all right, it's important to actually try to talk about them. But another aspect of this problem is the media, right? Never before in history have you had an entire sect of civilization focused on reporting news. Focused on reporting things and supposedly being objective about it. And it usually was their job to bring forth things that people may not have talked about. May not have been willing or able to talk about. You know, to bring in objectivity to bring in science to bring in reports from across the world or whatever across the the city or across the state that you may not have been have had you may not have had access to but they've been doing a excuse my language but a shitty job <laughs> recently and so this is really worrying because 
Number one, we all should know that climate change is, gonna, is, is a huge, huge thing, right? And it's radically changing our lives already. It's radically going to change our lives in the next few years. And it's only going to get worse if we don't radically <laughs> act against it, right? Like one of the, one of the, um, the places that we actually did something about this pretty quickly was, uh, was, um, <laughs> looking at a bunch of cats. So cute. Um, was the ozone layer, right? With the ozone layer, it was so, it was one of the only few <laughs> climate change based uh, global agreements like everybody was talking about the ozone layer and like oh we gotta fix the ozone layer and, and and do all this stuff about it right and I think it was accomplished I believe so and that was amazing alright we changed a lot of things because of that in a very short amount of time but yet with the rest of, global <laughs> of climate change people don't want to talk about it people don't want to do anything about it so many people don't even want to agree that it's existing. Right? Um, and it's crazy because we claim that we're, a lot of people claim that, you know, trying to do better with organic foods and, you know, eating green and all this other stuff or buying green, stuff like that. But nobody's actually paying attention to the supply chain to where that comes from alright and that's a bigger problem because here in the this is why it's called the global north right here in the US UK or other places like that we can kind of ignore that right we don't have to like we don't feel the immediate the immediacy but in many places in the you know Pacific Islanders, for instance, many places in Africa, in China, in India, South America, they feel that immediacy. They feel the lack of fish in the water completely evaporating their, you know, economy and their way of life. They feel the rising tides, you know, sinking their entire island. Right? <laughs> like, these big ships come in and tear up the, uh, the coral reef. They're overfish and all this stuff. They feel that. And people go in Africa and mine for those rare earth metals that we use in our silicon chips. And our electric cars even. And all this other stuff. They feel that. Right? There's people that have to mind that resources. There's no robots there. And robots cost metals too. Our car. Cars have so much metal in it. It's and it's wasted, right? Like we don't have we still don't have a good recycling program to turn up all these old cars into new ones. Instead it gets compacted and put in a landfill. Like it's it's stupid. It's absolutely insane. Like, I was really, really disturbed by this. 
I remember driving along the highway here in Georgia, and you see these giant hills, and it's just this awful stench. I'm like, what is that? They said, that's a landfill. That's where our garbage goes. I'm just like, what the, what in the God, what in the, like, how the, what? Imagine that. Imagine you just take all your garbage and put it on your, under your carpet and say, yes, that's, that's how we deal with our garbage. Put all your garbage and put it in a, in a hole in your backyard. That's how you deal with your garbage. That's basically what we do right now. Waste all these things and put it in the hole in the ground. And we call ourselves advanced. The fuck? <laughs> like that's what really, really disturbs me about our quote unquote modern century. That's what really disturbs me when you when we look at other civilizations from pat from history and call them primitive. Who's primitive? The people who live in a box in a box in a box? Who throw away their stuff and put it in their front yard? On the side of the highway? Or the people who actually had a realization that <laughs> that there was no infinite amount of resources, that the world was abundant only because you allowed it to renew itself. Like who's really primitive? That's what really disturbs me about our civilization is that we have this absolutely incredible delusion about our society. That we're so advanced. And yet every aspect of our society screams of our ignorance. And oftentimes it is willingly. Not all the time is it purely ignorant. A lot of times it is willingly. Because a lot of times you can research this stuff. You can ask where your garbage goes. You know, I was a kid when I didn't know about garbage. I was a child. What's the excuse of all these people who still don't know where their garbage goes in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 80s? Right? You can ask what happens to your your car after you um, are done with it. (laughs) After the 5, 10, 20 years... Where does it go? Where does all that metal go? People are complaining all the time about new cars being so weak, crumpling up, being made of aluminum or whatever. Well, why do you think that is? Why do you think we don't use as much metal in our vehicles? Where do you think that metal comes from? Right? Well, you can easily ask these things. You can easily Google it up nowadays, right? You can figure out what the hell is happening. I listen to so many podcasts about how there's a um, sand shortage. I'm talking the type of sand that you use to create concrete, to create bricks, to create these housing structures, these buildings in our cities, in our homes that we use in our streets or rather our sidewalks and stuff like that, right? Like... There's a sand shortage. Did you know that? And that drives up housing prices in the end. A number of other places. Another number of other reasons, right? There's so much shortage to feed incessant consumption. 
and it has always disturbed me and I'm really disturbed with myself for not talking about it enough because we do have to talk about these things the problem is not going to go away just because you don't want to talk about it just because it's a hard problem just because it's 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 scary it's, it's not going to go away it's going to get worse just like with any problem right I don't I'm not, I don't think there's ever a problem at least any serious problem that goes away just because you don't talk about it it just gets worse it festers becomes cancerous and eventually it becomes hard to deal with hard to stop like a cancer that goes unchecked guess what happens you 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 can't treat it anymore it's just fatal. And I feel like right now, our society, our world, is on that precipice. Just barely there. Like, we just barely can save this if we, if we mobilize en masse. If we actually decide to, to do massive action within a decade, then we might be able to save this. And that's what that's some of the things that I want to do, right? That's one of the reasons why I want to unlock humanity's potential with my ideas because I feel like so many people are just too apathetic, too depressed, too anxiety too anxiety induced, feeling too helpless to do anything. They feel like they they have enough problems in their world of making money of finding meaning of doing you know anything of significance and so they don't even try and that's why I really want to you know start it start there but at the same time right we have to put these things out there we have to show that we have huge problems to deal with right now The clock is running, whether you want to look at it or not. The clock is still running. You have this problem with toxic positivity. I'm a super... I don't know. I don't want to say optimistic per se. (laughs) because The whole reason why I even got here is because I've been depressed for years. From the age of like 12 until I was 22. (laughs) I had like I'm not going to say clinical depression Because I never got it checked out It's not like I was able to afford some therapist <laughs> A psychologist or whatever To tell me if I was depressed but The signs were all there And the reason why I got here Is because I looked at the world From from a very I looked at the world and found it wanting really and it Led me to depression And it was a vicious cycle for a very long time and the only reason why I'm, why it seems like I might be optimistic nowadays is because I'm tired. I'm absolutely sick of being angry or being sad. Of feeling like we can't do anything. I'm sick of it. Like, if, if I really felt like I couldn't do anything, I wouldn't be here. There have been so many times when I really considered, like, just, I see ya. <laughs> right? And the only reason why I didn't is because... I didn't want to, you know, put that in my mom. It's like literally the only reason. 
And so I just got tired, right? But when you're tired, it's not like you give up. No, it's just like you put your head down and you try to do something. When you put your head back up and you see all this crap going on, you get more disgusted and you just <laughs> get more tired. And just like, all right, I just need to keep going. I just need to do more. I need to have bigger dreams. I need to have a better plan. I need to have a more efficient, more crazy ideas. <laughs> Right? I'm tired of doing nothing. I'm picky because I want to make sure that what I'm doing is important. That what I'm doing is actually helping in some way. I don't want to just get a job because I need to make money. Because I need to pay the bills. Because those bills won't matter in 10 years. Right? Because if sea levels rise a little bit too much a few inches more right that entire city's gone I'm talking about on the east coast maybe not in 10 years but within my lifetime like when I'm having children within my lifetime if not 10 years at least 20 or 30 they say 2050 at the max but that's still within my lifetime right like when I'm having children, when I'm trying to raise my children, I don't want to be worried about what city is gone off the map. I don't be worried about crazy forest fires destroying half of the, the states or half of Australia or all this other place. Like I don't want to worry about that. I don't want to be raising my children and have to be concerned of of <laughs> freaking freak snowstorms and, and freak weather patterns and like I don't, what? So many of us claim we're doing things because we just want to, you know, have some security, have some safety in our lives. But we're trading up our safety today for our safety in the future. And to me, the future is more important because the future is where your kids are. The future is where your legacy is. And I'd rather be graded by the future. I'd rather be graded by where the legacy ended up. Like if that was a better world than we live in today, then great that I did my job. But if it's not, huh. so I'm tired of sitting here, you know, working at a desk, designing a widget. That isn't going to change anything. That doesn't really matter. This is why it takes so much care to work on things that I feel like are actually going to be super important. Um, the ideas of interoperability, of making an internet that is more open. So you can actually have more competition, more communication. Because that's another huge part of the problem today. Even when people do talk about these hard problems, they get, they get destroyed by the algorithms. Right, because the algorithms are designed to increase engagement.
And usually, you would think climate change is a good place of engagement, but because nobody actually wants to talk about it, or rather nobody thinks they want to talk about it, it becomes an Ouroboros. It becomes a you know, serpent eating its tail. People don't talk about it because they don't. They think other people don't want to talk about it, and it <laughs> and it confirms their bias that other people don't want to talk about it. You see, and the algorithm just feeds that on that same data, and so it doesn't it doesn't let these you know environmental discussions and things like that you know come up to the top. People talk about weather, extreme weather, but they won't talk about the environment, climate change. And how is this tied to social justice? I'm going to, you know, talk about that when she writes her paper. But the reason why it's tied together is because, again, these a lot of our lifestyle comes from these places that are being abused. It comes from these child labor areas. It comes from these slave labor areas, right? People are, these blood diamonds you may have heard of. That, that, that goes the same for metal. That goes the same for, you know, rare earth metals. That goes the same for pretty much anything you know even even clothing right the way that that's uh made or it pollutes their entire ecosystem like imagine we have a factory a mile away and it's, and it's so bad that you can't go outside without fine particulates giving you lung cancer that you can't <laughs> you can't even filter it through your water system because it's so bad. Imagine that. You you don't think people will be mad? You don't think people will be going doing all sorts of crazy stuff, taking out their guns and trying to, <laughs> you know, destroy this factory? This is the life that other people are living. This is their reality. Goes back to that episode I was talking about politics. You have the privilege to call it politics because it's not your reality. It's not your life. Hmm. I'm tired. Me, I'm tired of... Maybe that's another reason why I don't talk about it because I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of thinking about it. And that's it. I'm tired of doing nothing else. I'm tired of just talking, talking, talking and no action. I always felt so frustrated with my life because I felt like if I had a few more resources, all right, I'd be doing so much more. Just got so disgusted with billionaires and millionaires and and even like middle class people who have hundreds of thousand dollars for their job, like make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and aren't really doing anything. Like if I had, if I made a hundred thousand a year, if I had a hundred thousand a year, I'd be easily, easily be able to do way more to begin really changing the world. A couple of things I'd do: I'd start for, number one, having a virtual commune. And for me, a virtual commune is essentially a system in which allows you to share your wealth with your community so that everybody, you know, a rising tide rises all ships, right? You don't really see that 
today. And maybe you do. But the problem is, like, even if you, you know, rise those ships, they're not actually doing anything <laughs> with that money, with those resources, besides just living a regular life. But anyways, you know, I start with that so that everybody around me, all the communities I'm in, they also have the means to, you know, to be less concerned with trying to stay alive. And then I direct it. I have this idea of ultimate transparency. Of creating apps and systems, blockchains, whatever trendy, you know, augmented reality, whatever trendy thing, technology out there. The technology is just a tool, just a medium. But creating applications which show how and where our stuff comes from. You can actually look at your house and see where all those materials came from. You can see the people toiling to, to, to get those raw materials for your house, for your car, for your coffee, for your avocados. You can see that. And so people will no longer be able to ignore these things. People will no longer be able to claim ignorance. Because I believe in the, the goodness of humans. I believe in the, the, the desire to help. But the problem is that we as humans can be extremely delusional. We can sequester ourselves away from reality. As is evident by our current circumstances. We live in a cave. And we call it a house. We call it a mansion. It's still a cave. We live in these houses and we say we're outside of nature. We don't like nature. <laughs> the delusion. What the hell you think you're you're on? You're not in some magical land. You're not in space. You're not in in some other dimension. You're on earth. Surrounded by nature in nature. You just put it in a different form. It's still nature. Whew. So yeah. No. <laughs> I'm looking for a dog. <laughs> the dog's always getting away. And I might trap your dog, man. But, um. Yeah. So, 100,000. Like, that's why one of my goals is to, you know, get a, a stable job at that point. Not just because I want to live a good life, it's because I want to do more. I want to put to action all these ideas I had. I used to make 10 ideas a day. 10 ideas a day. Most of them on technology. On innovative ways to use technology to do better things in the world. I came up with thousands of ideas. Thousands. I just got tired of it. I was like, damn, what the hell am I, <laughs> what the hell am I doing with all this? Right? I started another spiral of depression too because I was like, am I so worthless that I can just come up with ideas but I can't, I can't come up with ideas to, to, to be more actionable? Here are these YouTube, oh, what I did with $100 to become a, a millionaire or whatever. I'm just like, how the fuck? Like, I just don't get it. I just, it just doesn't work for me. Maybe I'm just dumb. That could be it. But either way, that doesn't change the fact that if you got a million dollars and you're still not doing anything, it doesn't really matter. That million dollars isn't going to 
if you're not using that to better the world, it's not gonna matter. So yeah, that's my current goal. Get into a good salary. Not just for safety. Sure, I'm gonna move out and, you know, start my own life in my own place. But I will also begin doing a lot more. Creating a channel, YouTube channel, blogs, and other stuff that surfaces inf- this information. Um, that's another reason why I wanted to create this cur- curated, you know, curation kind of platform. So I can make it very easy for people to find this information. Because today, yeah, you can Google it, but it's really hard to find unbiased information when you're just Googling. It's really hard to even see what's unbiased and what's not. To see what's accurate and what's not with Google. With YouTube and all these platforms. So I would like to create a curated platform where you can actually see, okay, this is a huge number of things that have been researched really well and are generally unbiased. Or maybe here's both sides. Even though there's often not both sides. <laughs> like sometimes you claim it's both sides, but it's really not. It's really about people who want to live and people who want to dis <laughs> want to ignore their, their very life, the sanctity of life of somebody else. Right? People who believe that one's idea is politics is another's reality. Who who rather don't see that. Like transphobic rights, like trans um, rights and things like that. That's not both sides. There's no both sides to that. There's literally one person who wants to live their life and another person who doesn't want them to live their life. Because they have their own religious beliefs or something like that. And they want to impose that on somebody else. Like it's it's really disgusting. We call ourselves freedom fighters and we always want to talk about freedom in America but we refuse to recognize when that freedom comes at the cost of somebody else's freedom what do we do then we refuse to talk about that so my whole goal for like making more money it's really to do more things. I get so disgusted about millionaires and billionaires and all this stuff. Not because they have all that money, but because it doesn't seem like they're doing anything with it. Yeah, you you could say, oh, they could, they could do what they want with their money. Yeah, you can. But that doesn't stop me from being disgusted by your absolute waste. Waste of potential. <laughs> you can do whatever you like. And I can feel however I like about your wasted potential. This is that's another idea. That's another reason why I even started this this podcast. Thoughts of a trillionaire. It's because I wanted to show that you don't have to be like you don't have to be a psychopath to be a trillionaire, to be a wealthy person. I wanted to show that having a bunch of money does not equate a crime. That that can be an an, an incredible incredible opportunity. For more justice, for more help, for more freedom, for more actual change in the world. 
But as I learned more, right? I started this podcast years ago, four or five years ago. As I learned more, I'm beginning to learn that, I don't know, maybe not. Because it seems like, you know, there's this idea that no no one has ever been become a billionaire, become, you know, super wealthy without doing some, some crime or, or, or <laughs> you know, being a bad person in some, in some shape or form, which is very worrying. I'm not sure if it's actually true, but it's a very common kind of thought. And as well as I've learned about agrarianism, the problem of hoarding resources, right? That also showed that the the very act of hoarding resources creates a schism in your in, in one psychology and the human mind. It creates an inherent bias towards power. This is why. I don't usually talk about capitalism itself being the problem. And other people often agree, uh, disagree with me in my discord because people love to say capitalism is a problem. But the reason why I don't think so, especially after reading about hunter-gatherer cultures, is because we actually can trace right, the, the, the beginnings of inequality with agrarianism when people started farming more and collecting those resources a number of things started happening we may call it innovation we may call it progress but that's really a delusion or at, least, at the very least it's very one-sided very extremely biased <laughs> and in the worst way possible because we lost a whole lot of things on a global scale as a, as a, as a species. There were pockets of, of people, yes, that didn't you know, lose as much, that, that didn't change as much, that retained a whole lot of values and equality and stuff like that with pastoral or, or um, other types of grand lifestyles. But as a species, or we can actually track things like loss and even physical things like height, like an average human was, you know, 5'10 or above. And then after, you can actually see <laughs> the average human became around 5'7, five, 5'5 five, five or something like that. It's only in recent years where that has started to be, <laughs> started to trend back up. I have nothing against short people. I'm short. <laughs> right? It's not, it's not a, it's not a value proposition. It's just we can actually trace these things, right? We can actually see that there's in society after society places that were more basically were um, they call it uh, resource aggregates, but I just call it hoarding, <laughs> right? Those places tend to be more unequal. They tend to be more patriarchal. They tend to be more violent. It makes sense why. Because when you begin to hoard resources, two things happen. No, three things. Number one, 
you have more to protect. You have more to to own. You have this idea of ownership. Number two, you have this idea of ownership of the land. That the place that you live on, this earth, belongs to you. Which is a very novel and weird idea. Again, I think I've mentioned this before, but like if you nobody owns the air. Even though even in our own property, like we don't really say we own the air. And this this there's been this idea of air rights and all this other stuff that's that's been trying to come up. But that has to do mostly with, you know, what you put in the air. <laughs> right? And like you don't own the molecules of the air. Like we say we we, we own the land around us. Right? So, you create this idea of owning the land, private property. And number three, it created this idea of scarcity. And I said it before, I'll say it again because it, it, it constantly needs saying, I think. Scarcity is not a, a universal concept. It's not a, it's not a you know, time... Honor. It's not like we've had this idea of living in a scarce world for since since the dawn of time. No, it's only been since the dawn of of farming <laughs> that we had this idea of scarcity. Because once again, in hunter gatherer cultures, I, I wish I could remember the quotes very well, but you know they said, "Why would I, you know, basically farm when?" The coconut goes in the tree all the time. Or what I'm terror I'm terrible at it. But basically they had this idea of abund- of abundance, right? Of looking around and you see like a Walmart in the land. Where things are just re refurbished. Or every season or every year or every couple of years, you know you can come back and there's more resources there. And because you were there, you were physically there in your local area. Right when you kill something, you know that's one less in that area, and so by default, you're not gonna overkill. Humans aren't that dumb. We may say that we're dumb sometimes, but it's not because we're literally idiots. Like we wouldn't we wouldn't be here if we were. No, it's because you can't see what you're doing. Because today. When you kill, when you eat a fish, you have no idea where that fish came from. When you eat a chicken, you have no idea where that chicken came from. You have no idea, you know, that there are a thousand chickens and then somebody killed that chicken is 999. Sure, you can abstractly think about this idea, but it's not daily in your life. It's not, you look at it, it's not you go in your front yard, you have five chickens, you kill one, right? It's, <laughs> this is why we came up with math. It's because we actually can look at things and see that there's one less today than there was yesterday this is why we came up with math with science with logic we were able to observe these patterns in our face and then act from there but when we divorce those patterns the ability to recognize patterns to see those patterns from our living environment then of course we're going to make dumb decisions. Of course we're going to be deluded. We became deluded because we had this idea of scarcity. This idea that there's finite resources. 
Because that's what farming creates, a finite resource, right? You have to farm. You have to put seeds in the ground. You have to do all this backbreaking work day after day from dawn to dusk. And then at the end of the season, you know, it grows and you harvest it. And there's only so many things you can harvest. And then you have to do it all again next year. So you literally see that there's a finite amount of things that you can take and, and use and eat day after day, year after year. And it was less healthy because you're in one place and you only typically only farm a, a certain amount of things, right? Subsistence farming. Same thing with cows, with pastoralism, of having cattle. I've talked about this before, so let me, let me wind this down. But this is why I don't necessarily blame capitalism for it. People say, oh, yes, but capitalism is so much worse. And yes, that's true. But my, my, it always comes down to this. Like, if we get rid of capitalism, what are we left with? Like, colonialism didn't, doesn't predate capitalism. Capitalism happened after colonialism for a reason. I'm not sure if you hear that helicopter. It's very loud helicopter. Goodness. But yeah, that was a lot of noise. Goodness. And a helicopter and then a trash came. <laughs> Forgot where I left off. But yeah, environmentalism, huge problem. Um, I think it's deeper than capitalism. I think it's more fundamental than that. But gonna have to learn, see, see if I was wrong. Like, I want to see if there's any, you know, um, pastoral or agrarian-based societies that were still that still had equality and all this, all these other things. And it's not like perfect. It's not like hunter-gatherer cultures are so much, you know, a perfect civilization or anything like that. I do think it's incredibly efficient. It's incredibly powerful because it has lasted for so long without incident. But anyways, um, I think the bigger thing is that we need to have more transparency. We need to have more conversation about how our societies are made. The pros and cons of each type of civilization right like if one civilization has these pros has has you know more innovation uh more sustainability not sustainability but but can sustain higher populations you know that's some pros but then a whole bunch of cons too is like more inequality more uh oh my gosh just trash is so loud but yeah more inequality more environmental destruction more pollution which is basically the same thing but you know all these other things right like we have to take that into into to consideration we have to balance the scales but i don't see that talking i don't see that conversation it's like i don't know what happened there where i left off i'm not sure if i accidentally hit the button but it just stopped recording um one second I don't know what the hell is going on. This is why Anchor really pisses me off sometimes. Again, it just 
stopped. I'm not sure if I accidentally pressed it. So I had to put my phone down. I don't know. Ugh. I guess it's a sign for me to stop. <laughs> I have to get back to this in another day, but I want to end off with uh, another hard topic. The Israel-Palestine thing situation. It's very crazy stuff that's happening there. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it because I've you know, spoken a lot about other heavy stuff today. And there's, I just... There's a lot more, and it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff going on there. But what I will say, and I'm not scared to talk about, is the fact that it's not, even though it is kind of complex, it's not that complex. Right? And that's what surprised me about learning about it. So I saw a video by Philip DeFranco, who gave some great perspective on it. He basically, to summarize his points, but go look up that video, Philip DeFranco show. Um, but yeah, he talks about basically how, yes, both Palestine and Israel are, are, you know, doing some terrible violence and 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 like killing civilians. But Israel has a much higher death toll. Like they're killing, they've, they've killed a lot more innocents. Like if you look at the stats, it's crazy. Like Palestine might have, you know, killed a handful of people. And within this last, you know, week or two. And Israel has killed like hundreds. If not thousands at this point. And, and, and Philip, you know, points out that it's, it's, uh, it's not the, the people. It's not a problem of Palestinians versus Israel, Israel people of Jewish versus Arab or anything like that. Arab, I'm sorry, I you say that, but it's a problem of the Israel government. Just like our own government can be, the U.S. American government can be absolutely stupid, while the people can be fairly reasonable. Same problem there, right? The Israel government has all this power and all this ability to 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 do all these things with the, with or without the <laughs> Israel people, you know, without their consideration. And that's a bigger problem. Trevor Noah made another great video. He points out how. You know, the Israel uh, government has access to so much more technology and weaponry. And it makes it even worse because it's America that's freaking paying for this, right? America is actually giving them millions of dollars worth of, um, worth of weaponry. Like, on the books. This is not even talking about, you know, black, black market, you know, weapon sales, pe- which people like to talk about. But no, this is like literally on the, the, uh, the official records. This has been okayed by by uh, Biden, and it has been okayed by the last couple president presidents. It's, it's, I don't think it's, a, it's it's definitely not a partisan thing, but for the last like 10, 20 years, right, the U.S. government has been giving Israel millions of dollars of worth of weaponry. The Israel government might add. It's not like everyday people. It's like, oh, yes, here's my, you know, right to the Second Amendment. No, it's talking about, like, missiles, like, short-range <laughs> missiles. They have this Iron Dome system where they can shoot down any missile or whatever. 
And you might say, oh, they're just trying to protect themselves. But then they just use it. They use it against civilians. You're telling me it's like, I, I, don't, think, I don't think that's protecting. And, and Trevor Noah put it really well. It's like, if, you have, if you're so much more powerful than your opponent, now you're gonna, how are you going to use that power? Right? He had this thing, and I've, and it hit me because this is like the same thing my mom told me, tells all the time. Is like when your younger brothers are, if you're a teenager, you have you know four year old younger brothers, and this is not, this is not a kidding the Palestinians children, nothing like that. It's just a metaphor in terms of power. Right? Like if you have your, even if you go the other way, if you're like a a bodybuilder, you're like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Or MMA fighter or whatever you, you're and this this random other person on the street, who has no training, who doesn't have the same amount of you know. Techniques or whatever. Like I think it's illegal for an MMA or a boxer or whatever to to get in the fist fight, because their hands are classified as a as a as a weapon. <laughs> so when when another person you know tries to you know beat you up or whatever they literally can't do that much damage to you they literally can't you just are so much more powerful you have so much more armor like if you're uh, the other metaphor if you're a knight in a suit of armor versus a farmer with a pitchfork right like are you gonna use that great sword to decapitate them and their family when they, <laughs> because you come in, you come in there and take taxes from them. They don't want to pay your taxes, and so you're gonna come and decapitate their entire family. How, like, how are you gonna use that power? That's that's basically what he was saying there. Look up his video. It says a lot better than me. But <laughs> point here is that the Israel government has access to so much technology and power, and it sure seems like they're abusing. It. And another thing, I, I saw this crash course. I think that's what the YouTube channel is called. Um, History Crash Course or something like that. By Hank Green. You know, the Green Brothers who have uh, been doing great, great YouTube channels for the last decade or so. They point out how the Palestinian-Israel issue is not actually a matter of religion. It's not a matter of, like, Jew Jewish versus... Um, Muslims or anything like that. It's not a it's not a religious issue. Cause they point out how in the Ottoman during the Ottoman Empire in the last century and that's this is just a hundred years ago. This is not a, a thousand, ten thousand years ago. This is just a hundred years ago, before World War One. The Ottoman Empire was, you know, um and in power for that whole area, the whole Middle East area, including um, the area that we now call Israel or Palestine. I'm not going to recap the whole thing because I don't remember all the backs and forth. You can go watch that video yourself. Crash Course Israel-Palestine. But he just points out basically how it's not a... During the Ottoman Empire, there are a number of religions. Muslim, um, Jewish, you know, Christian... Orthodox Jews with I don't know I don't know how these religions break down but all these people were living together in that in in Jerusalem in that area 
with no problems, right? It was it was fairly harmonious. And then, after the war, British came in and said, or during the war, during World War One, British came in and said, um, they overpromised. <laughs> they said, hey, we're trying to beat the Ottoman Empire. You know, if you um, they had another a number of Jews in the in the north because there was a huge anti-Semitism going on in the north in, in Europe, and so they're like, "Hey, you know, we'll bring all of you all down here to Jerusalem, promise part of the land, and then they promised the uh, the the um, I forgot what that country is called, but in the Arabian Peninsula, they promised them. They said, "Hey, if you if you lead a rebellion against the Ottomans." You know, we'll give you this land in part of Jerusalem and Israel, that area. And then they promised the other people, <laughs> some other group, they said, oh, if, if you do this, we'll give you this land. Right? So they, <laughs> the British promised all these things so they can beat the Ottomans. And when they beat the Ottomans, the people were like, okay, so what's up? And it, of course, they overpromised to three, four different groups. And they couldn't, you know, do do much with that. So they... It was just a mess, just, and so much of it, basically, to, to kind of sum this up, is not a religious issue. It's not being anti anti Semite or anti Muslim or whatever, anything like that. It's it's land, territorial, and that's that's sad. And it's, especially nowadays, it's state. It's it's the government. So, yeah, that is just a, another example of, of, like, this idea and need for more transparency. The fact that we need to have more tools in place to show, you know, why things are the way they are right now, today. And how they aren't intractable. Like, a lot of times we feel like, oh, the reason the, the world is the way it is because humans are greedy, because humans are you know, violent, because religion, because this, that, and the other, but no, humans are, <laughs> can be very chill people, we're, we're pretty chill, we can be very harmonious, we can be very smart, we can be very, you know, transcendent, we could be very awesome folks, very awesome animals, but it's the environments that we've structured for ourselves, it's the delusion it's the delusion that we buy into or that we're born into and which structures our behavior. It's the deficiencies in our connections. It's the deficiencies in our nutrients. The deficiencies in our sense of self that creates these problems. And these are relatively recent problems in the space of human history, in the space of evolution, even in the space of quote-unquote modern history. A lot of our problems are fairly recent. And a lot of our problems are not intractable. We just need to understand more about it. We need to talk more about it. And we need to do more about it. So I think that's a good place to end. Thanks as always for listening. 
sorry for all the noise and the randomness and the I'm not sure how this transition happened from or sounds like from uh, what I was talking about before to now because half of my what I was saying suddenly wasn't recorded but um probably gonna talk about this a lot more going forward because I, I do really really want to talk about it I'm so surprised about myself for not talking about it this just goes to show you how you know when you don't think about things you can go in autopilot very easily <laughs> and you know go so long without working on things like just a brief aside like even though I, I know I said I was gonna end this but I had to mention this that I've been working on this apprenticeship with Debbie for one of these apps she has and I I've um at first I was kind of you know wasn't super excited about it because it didn't feel like you know <laughs> one of those things that help in the world but she gave some great perspective and I and I spoke on that in the podcast a couple of months ago where where sometimes you you if 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 you can't feel like you're doing the macro different if you're not making a if you feel like you're not making a difference on the the wider global scale or whatever then at least try to make a difference on the micro scale right at least try to make somebody else's life better right and so for these tools creating a tool for researchers and that's good work right? like we need more research in this world that's showing how things are happening why they're happening you know why people do the things that they do we need more of that that's one that's one of the things i want to do more you know that's why i'm taking this class about research but the tools for research today are very very difficult right and we're building something to help with that and so you know seeing that perspective really helped me to to do more of that but but because number one is unpaid <laughs> and number two there's no deadlines because it's unpaid like because she didn't want to you know force us to say oh get this done by this time because we don't have you know because we're not being paid it's a it's a free apprenticeship you know she didn't have the money at the time to pay us and so she was paying in terms of her mentorship and and things like that but I still had to like feed my family I had to you know get food and pay you know I don't have a lot of bills I still have to you know help my family out with bills and things like that and my own phone bill and whatever right so I still had to look for for jobs and so over the last two months I've been looking at for these contract positions and I got some stuff I got some great stuff but in the back of my head I kept thinking oh I want to do this apprenticeship I want to create this cool tool for researchers I was kind of on autopilot, at least in that in that space. Like you can, that's another thing. You can be on autopilot at the same time as you're super hustling for another thing, right? This happens a lot of times with relationships. You can be on autopilot with your relationship while you're working hard at your job, but then you turn around and your relationship is falling apart because you weren't actually there. You weren't actually improving. That's like the movie Click. <laughs> That remote control movie, Adam Sandler, right? You're on autopilot, and because you're not there to like do these things to, to make that relationship better, to do that internship or apprenticeship or whatever your hobby, whatever, right? It it, it stagnates. Oh man, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. <laughs> it's so much stuff. Like I read this article last night about how I know I said I was going to end it, but this is why I do this. <laughs> this article about how. You know, our time, our times are, are accelerating. Our innovation and growth is accelerating. And we're talking about how before, you know, there's not much change that happened in the space of a century or a, or, or a generation. Um, in the last 40 years or something like that, right? Like somebody born in the 60s experienced a different set of change. 
from the 60s until the early 2000s than they did from the early 2000s until now. Like the, the rate of change has almost doubled in that time. And they kind of predict that the rate of change is going to keep doubling. So the next 10, 20 years is going to feel like, like a space, like a 10 years is going to feel like 20. And then after that, 10 years is going to feel like 40. And after that, 10 years is going to feel like 60 or, or 80 or, you know, I think it's like time two, four, eight, sixteen. 16, you know, it's exponential rather. It's not linear. It's exponential. So each year it doubles the double. And so you could be like have a year of time or 10 years of time feels like three months. All right. Like we felt a lot of that in 2020. We had this mass pandemic. At the same time, we had this UFO thing. At the same time, we had, you know, the Black Lives Matter um, thing. With police brutality and all this other stuff coming to the fore. And at the same time, we had, you know, there's a number of things I'm probably forgetting already. But like a year can feel like so much time because so many things are happening. We have an escalation and acceleration of, of innovation. And that's due in large part to the competition. Because this is how, you know, evolution works, right? When you compete, you're competing with these other places. And um, it's kind of like an arms race, right? Where, you know, one species, like they had the, the idea of, a, you know, a rabbit and a fox. Where a rabbit might evolve longer ears, bigger ears, so they can hear more of their predator and, and run away earlier. But then the fox might, might you know, evolve stealthier. Or it might evolve, you know, um, longer legs so it can run faster and find, get the fox, or get the rabbit, you know. But in biology, it's a, it's, it's that rate of change is kind of capped by number one, the ecosystem, by the diversity of the ecosystem, by the number of things in the area. It's capped by biology itself, or the fact that you can't make, the, you can only make changes per generation. Like every time somebody something reproduces. This is why mosquitoes and insects can, you know, evolve so much faster than a regular, you know, larger animals. But for humans, we evolve, we can evolve our ideas. Our ideas have a, can generate and regenerate and have, have generations much faster, way faster than any biological construct. Like, we can't even directly see you know when a what what the life cycle of an idea is some say it's nothing some say it's super fast some say it's you know a couple of years depending on the type of idea or whatever but because of globalization we have this comp we have this com competition on a global scale <laughs> and you see this in the Wuxia novels or Zanxia novels all the time where you're the hot shit in your local area Right, you might be the best at tennis or the best at, you know, at this game or whatever. But then you go to a larger area, your state, and you realize that you're not that good. Maybe you can can struggle, you can fight, and you can be better at it. But then you go to your 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 um, country, you realize that you're not that good. And then on the regional scale, the global scale, and you realize that you're you're terrible compared to these people, right? And their example with tennis, even though you can be, you have extremely talented people, the top three or ten people at your school can be absolutely nowhere in, in the global scale. And in the global scale, it's only like the top three people 
they get most of the recognition and the sponsorships and all this other stuff. And so where does that leave us when we're in jobs? Like this is the problem, both the both the opportunity and the problem with remote work. Like remote work, you can go work in any place, no matter where you are. You can go work in, I'm here in Georgia, I can get jobs from, you know, L.A. I can get jobs in Silicon Valley, get higher pay or get more job opportunities. But that also means I'm competing with people from China. I'm competing with people from Africa. I'm competing with people from, you know, all sorts of places. And that means I have to be on my shit. <laughs> like, it's, it's way harder to compete when you have so much more people in the in the in the space and that creates a, a level of anxiety like in the 60s when the computers started coming out they was they was they were saying oh in the next 50 you know 50 uh 100 years or whatever you know next next century we're going to feel so much more relaxed we're going to have so much so much leisure time and so humans are going to be con- worried about how we're going to spend our leisure time instead of how we're going to do our work but now, <laughs> what 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 actually happens is that now we have so much more anxiety, so much more depression because people are worried about how they're going to compete with everybody. How are they going to you know get a job when when you know these these easy jobs are, are being you know taken taken to third world countries where you have slave labor. You can't compete with pe- people being paid nothing or people being paid a couple cents. And you don't want to compete with them, right? You don't want to get paid a couple cents for all your work. You know, so globalization is great for having be able to connect with more people, but it's also terrible for this idea that you you can offset, you know, production into places that you can't see, that you can't access, that's that's not local. It creates a huge amount of problems. Again, the pros and cons. We haven't talked about it. We just went full steam ahead. This is why we need to actually think about what the hell we're doing. What the possible pros and cons are. It's not like these things are, are hard to imagine. We, we, we can easily have predicted a lot of this stuff if we actually took the time to think about it. If we actually took the time to look at history and see how that has played out. Because there's been plenty of hist- historical you know, moments of the same thing happening in Greek culture, for instance, in Roman culture. Like that's how, the the reason why Greek the great Greek and Roman civilizations fell apart is because they became too globalized. You know they had too many um, cultures in the same area trying to be the same nationalistic idea, and people couldn't agree on that what the what the nation was. And I'm not a fan of nationalism. I think that's a huge mistake of humanity. But. It's still a fact that the more people you have, and I, I spoke about this a little bit with Par yesterday, this idea of the Overton window, right? The more people you have in a geographical area or a you know ideological area, the less diversity and conversation that you can have with those people. Because so many people have different viewpoints, have different ideas and different things of what's, what's okay and what's not okay to talk about to think about to do and when you're trying to cram all these people into one place and into one idea into one society then you're not allowing for that diversity 
right? Especially with quote unquote democracy. That's not really this is a republic. That's more of a majority, even though we we claim it's representational. It's not because you have interested parties that are able to pay, right? <laughs> that are able to skew the system such that only a specific people subset of people have most of the buying power have most of the voting power that's why redlining gerrymandering and all this stuff is so problematic it's because you're not actually representing their voices in the in, in the places where it matters and so you don't have a free market you don't have a a, a, a marketplace of ideas and and, and and right you don't have that that communication and even when you do like in some places in the internet where you can literally talk about anything to anybody, it's the radical stuff that usually bubbles up. Because it's easier to, you know, to jump to conclusions, to, to have all these <laughs> um, radical ideas than it is to have a nuanced idea. So... Because we haven't really thought about <laughs> how globalization should, should, you know, the pros and cons of it, we haven't really structured our society to deal with those pros and cons. We just went full steam ahead. I don't even know where I'm going with this anymore, but I'm just, I'm just in that bag right now. I'm just talking about a lot of things that we have, a lot of problems that we have, and, and why we need to seriously do better. I think I have a um, call coming up, so I need to really end this. But yeah, there's there's just so much stuff that we need to think about and do better with. And I think we can do it. We definitely can. Because again, I believe in, in science shows right, that humans can be really great people. We can be really great animals. We can be really great stewards of society or parts of the environment. You know, we don't have to be the way we are now. It's just a matter of structuring our environments better. So that we can actually recognize the patterns that we have going on. So that we can actually have conversations about the right facts. So we can actually be privy to the right information. Just like in the past, we can explore the environments rather than exploring a distorted <laughs> view of the environment we can actually explore the actual environment the actual facts and decide for ourselves what's what's true what's not or what's important what's not rather than because right now it's like we're in a bizarre world it's like most people don't even know where to go to find the facts they find somebody else's ideas of the facts somebody else's ideas of somebody else's ideas of somebody else's ideas of the facts So we need to have more direct sources to what's actually going on in the world. You know, how our resources are being used, where it comes from, where these ideas are coming from, you know, where they're going, how it's being applied, all that stuff. Make it easy. It doesn't have to be some chaotic. It doesn't have to be some information overload. This is the this is the realm of design. <laughs> in a game, the games are extremely complicated, like MMORPGs and all this stuff. That's why I love looking at games. A lot of them are really complicated, really amazing. But the, the best games does have great design. They show you where to go, how to do things to make it easier, to make it 
So you, get, you have some level of agency. You have some real agency in the game. That's the best type of open world games, for instance, where this path, no matter what path you, you go down, it's, it's a meaningful path. Right? It actually makes a difference in your experience. And you were, you were given some level of knowledge on, on what to do each step of the way. Right, so games give us a great idea of how we can structure our world to be more, if not simple, at least more doable. Right, we can structure our world to just make more sense. <laughs> but anyways, I'm really got to end it now. So yeah, <laughs> for real this time. Thanks for listening. Let me know what you think about all this stuff. And um. Let's make, make let's make a better world together. Let's do this. See you. Bye bye.